This podcast is brought to you by Hound. Hound comments on style violations and GitHub pull requests, allowing you and your team to better review and maintain a clean code base. Try it now at houndci.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is George Brocklehurst, Development Director at ThoughtBot in New York City. George, you've been working on machine learning stuff, so I wanted to have you on the show today to talk about some pretty exciting area of tech, I think. So thanks for joining me. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be here. So I'm going to start with maybe everyone's favorite question, which is, what is the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence? Machine learning is often seen as a technique for achieving artificial intelligence, but it refers specifically to a family of algorithms which are about machines taking some data and finding patterns in that data so that they can do useful and interesting things. Mm -hmm. So... Do you have some examples of practical in products we might use today, machine learning that's happening? Um, so the iPhone 10 uh, with the, the Face ID feature, uh, that's almost certainly using machine learning. Mm-hmm. It's learned how to recognize human faces. And that isn't code that someone's written by hand with like, oh, well, I'd expect to find some eyes and eyes look exactly like this. Instead, there'll be a bunch of examples of what faces look like and an algorithm will have learned, oh, well, I know this image contains a face. I know this image doesn't contain a face. And by looking at enough of those, the algorithm learns how to tell the difference between faces and not without a human having to program all of the details. Mm -hmm. So was there something in particular that got you interested in exploring machine learning? It's the first new technology in a while where I've learned how to solve new problems rather than just solving problems I could already solve before in a more effective or more efficient way. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty exciting for me. The first machine learning thing I built, I was working on trying to parse some recipes from the web, trying to understand the ingredients to build like shopping lists and meal plans and those kind of things. And I couldn't figure out how to parse the ingredients. And I used a machine learning system and it got really good results. And I was really excited that I'd gone from, oh, I don't know how to solve this to now I can do this. It felt like a a broadening of my programming horizons. Would you say that the original problem was near unsolvable or just you didn't know how to solve it? I think with the number of recipes I was trying to work with, it was near unsolvable Mm -hmm. because they were written for humans. And so I had hundreds of thousands of ingredient descriptions which had thousands of different formats. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to understand all of those formats. And even just enumerating all of them would have been a huge manual undertaking. So can we maybe use the example of the recipe thing that you did to sort of break down how you go about implementing or, or working with machine learning? Sure, yeah. So I used a particular machine learning approach here called supervised learning. So what I'm going to talk about here is specific to supervised learning. There okay. are other approaches. And what you do is you start with a very, very flexible function that could do a lot of different things. And this function has two groups of parameters. There are parameters that control what the function is going to do. And then there are the input parameters that you'd expect in a normal function. So to use a really, really simple example of that, say you had a function that could multiply two numbers together. You could imagine that one of those parameters is the number you want to work with and the other is what you want to multiply it by. So if you fixed one of those parameters, you could make functions that would double a number or triple a number or quadruple a number. 
in a machine learning system, you use a function that could do lots and lots of different things with your input, and then you fix a bunch of the parameters to that function so that it does a single specific thing. But the clever part and the interesting part is how you fix those parameters. So rather than coming up with parameters yourself, you just make a lot of examples. So for the the recipes, I went through lots of ingredients and I labeled the parts of those ingredients. I said, you know, this is the quantity, this is the unit the quantity is measured in, and this is the name of the ingredient. And then I showed those examples to a machine learning algorithm and it figured out what the parameters of my function should be fixed to so that when I showed it a new ingredient description it had never seen before, it could work out which part was which. Mm -hmm. So is that training? That is training. (laughs) Yeah, so the data you show to the machine learning system for it to figure out what those parameters are is called a training set. And then the learning refers to starting with completely random parameters that have terrible results usually and slowly, iteratively finding the right ones and Mm -hmm. kind of honing in on the right parameters that will make the results you're getting out of your function agree with the examples that you've labeled by hand. And so after you did that with the recipe data, with the ingredients, what was the next step? Or were you done? There was definitely a next step, partly because this isn't perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. The output of a machine learning system is it's kind of an educated guess. It was really useful because the educated guess was far better than anything I'd managed to write by hand, but it still wasn't perfect. Also, what I was getting out of the machine learning system was labeled words, so if the ingredient description was a pound of butter, it might tell me A was the quantity, pound was the unit, and butter was the name of the ingredient. But I still had to then extract that information and put it into a database in a useful way. I had to write some manual code to figure out things like A is the same thing as one, Mm -hmm. or writing out O-N-E is the same thing as the number one. Mm -hmm. So there was some manual processing afterwards, but I was starting from much more structured data than when I was just trying to go straight from the text. I think that's a good breakdown of like how you might approach a problem using machine learning. What are some of the tools that you actually use to do that? So in that case, that type of process is called named entity recognition. It's Mm -hmm. a, a natural language processing technique where you're training a machine learning model to recognize the entities that exist within text and give them names. So I used an off-the-shelf named entity recognition library from the Stanford Natural Language Processing Group. I think it's a really exciting time for machine learning, partly because of these kind of libraries that are becoming increasingly accessible. You no longer need to have a PhD in math to use this stuff. It's kind of analogous to where Rails was about 15 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that at this point, there is a lot of robust open source libraries that you can use to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. A more popular library, um, something I've been using for image processing projects recently is Mm -hmm. PyTorch, which is a Python library for building neural networks. And the principles of neural networks are very similar to what I've described. The, The underlying mathematical model is different, but from an implementation perspective, that doesn't matter a huge amount. And the PyTorch library lets you build lots of different types and styles of neural networks very simply by just composing objects together, which makes it very accessible for building things for recognizing images and sound, uh, also text. So you started with this recipe project. You didn't set out to use machine learning. Is that right? There was something that you wanted to do, and then you applied machine learning to it. Yeah, 
I was simultaneously doing a machine learning course, so the <laughs> the tool was kind of front of mind, yeah. I suppose. But it was, I think, the right tool for the job. Mm-hmm. And it took it from, oh, this is a course I'm doing because I want to understand this thing, to, oh, this is a tool which I'm really excited to dig into further and start using in the real world. Yeah. So the reason why I ask is I'm curious what you think is the better way or more reliable way to approach product development and product development potentially using machine learning in your product. Is it that in your product, you're going to come across problems that machine learning might help you solve? Or as product designers and developers, should we be trying to find new uses for new products around machine learning? There probably are opportunities out there for taking some knowledge of an industry and some knowledge of machine learning and putting them together to produce an interesting product. But my general approach to all technology, whether it's machine learning or microservices or whatever, is Mm -hmm. does it solve a problem that you have in front of you? So I'd probably personally err on that side. But there are definitely plenty of stories in the last few years of people taking machine learning and saying, okay, well, machine learning is good at classifying things and deciding what they are. And there's this problem that we have in the real world where we classify things and decide what they are. So let's just apply it there and see if we get better results than humans. And in lots of cases, that is that is happening, mm-hmm. especially around medical applications and those kind of things. Right. So putting that aside where we're, we're saying, let's use machine learning for something. What can we do? How do we identify in our own products and the things that we're building, areas that we can help improve with machine learning? I think where it really shines is when there is clearly a relationship between some input and some output, Mm -hmm. but it's difficult to express what that relationship is. So for example, detecting a face in a, in a photograph. It's quite clear to a human whether or not there is a face in that photograph, but it's quite hard to programmatically describe what that relationship between some pixel color values and does it contain a face or not. And even more subtly than that, is it Chad's face or not? Mm-hmm. When we know this relationship is there, we know it would be useful to express in software, but we don't know how to program it. I think that's where machine learning can really shine because it can learn the patterns for us. Trying to think of examples in the sort of world of ThoughtBot that we might be able to use machine learning for. Can you think of any? Uh, I have a list. Uh, you have a one list. Thing I would, okay, good. We, we collect a lot of information about people we might work with. Mm-hmm. And then we end up working with some of those people and we end up not working with other of those people. There's probably some relationship between that information that we collect up front and whether or not we end up working together, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Maybe a machine learning system could tell us, hey, this this looks like the kind of company you end up working with most of the time, mm-hmm. or this looks like the kind of company you don't end up working with most of the time. And I wouldn't want to trust our entire sales process to that program, but it might be interesting for flagging particularly good-looking deals or particularly at-risk-looking deals. Right. If we were doing that, we could probably carry it through to project success or happiness or fulfillment on work as well. And say so these kinds of things are generally our best projects as well. Yeah, absolutely. So in the past, we built Hoptoad, and that was a lot of data coming in. And exception, it was an exception catching application. It's called Airbrake now. And so exceptions are happening in tons of different applications. We would have them come in and 
we were processing lots of data quickly and it was actually a pretty simple exercise to determine whether something was an error we had seen before. But is there something that we could learn from that data that we had of all of those errors? So if, for example, a human comes along afterwards and marks errors as being resolved or being important or unimportant, it could then be possible for a machine learning system to figure out which ones are likely to be important or which ones are likely to be the kind of errors that we'd want to resolve quickly and maybe surface those with a higher level of, of reporting. So maybe a Slack message rather than just putting them in an email digest, that kind of thing. Mm. The last time we saw an error that looks like this, or in general, when we see errors that look like this, you tend to resolve them within a day. So we thought you'd want to know about this one. Yeah. So you, you hit upon something which I was hoping that by just exploring we would hit upon, which is like, what are the heuristics or things that we might be using machine learning to replace? And and what you said there was, if a human were doing this, then that might be a heuristic that you can do like on your app, on your product, in your business. If there's something that humans are repeatedly doing now and and maybe that you sort of chalk it up to like, well, you need experience or you need that's a difficult problem and only Joe knows how to do that. That might be sort of a red flag that you can say, well, maybe we could automate that using machine learning. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you were just picking Joe as a random I, name. I realized that. as soon as I said it that I didn't want to use Joe because Joe is an actual person at ThoughtBot. I should have said like some other name. I don't think we could automate Joe yet, but <laughs> machine learning is improving all the time. <laughs> yeah. What about what we actually do for work, which is build applications? There was a article published this week about someone who had trained a neural network to convert mockups of web interfaces into HTML. It was a fairly restricted set of mm -hmm. interfaces. Uh, I believe they were using Twitter Bootstrap or something similar to that. So there were a set of components that looked a certain way, but they trained a neural network to fairly reliably take an image that composed these different web components and produce HTML that would render them correctly. That's amazing. <laughs> even understanding how this stuff works and even having built a few things now, some of the applications still look like magic to me when I mm -hmm. see them in action. Mm -hmm. So assuming I want to have my eye out for things in my products or that I'm working on that I could apply machine learning to, you mentioned the course that you took. So is that a good way to get started? The original course I took was on Coursera, and it's a very good course, but it does require some degree of math background. Mm. So depending on what background you're coming from, that may or may not be helpful. There is another course, which is on fast.ai, which is very much aimed at developers. So their prerequisite is, you know, enough programming to read and write some simple Python, which if you know Ruby, I'd say you can pick up the amount of Python that you need for this course fairly mm -hmm. quickly. And that is far less mathematical and far more practical. So that might be a better starting point for people who are coming at it from a development background. Cool. Um, so we'll link both of those things in the show notes so you can find them. What other resources did you use when you were getting started that might be helpful to people? There's a useful book called Fundamentals of Machine Learning for Predictive Data Analysis, which has some really good explanations of common algorithms. It actually doesn't get into neural networks, which are probably the most popular mm -hmm. algorithm now. 
because of the whole area of deep learning being neural network based. But that I found very helpful for getting a good overview of the types of problems that machine learning could tackle and the types of algorithms that could be used. And it has some really good worked examples and case studies. It's also quite mathematical, but every time there is some equation or some theorem, there's a good plain English explanation and some worked examples with real numbers. Mm -hmm. And you've written a few blog posts about the work and what you've been learning, right? Yeah, there's one on the uh, ingredient project that I mentioned. There's also a much longer and hopefully clearer explanation than I gave on this podcast of what machine learning is. It's a few thousand words rather than a couple of minutes, so I have time to develop the ideas further. Yeah, and there's an accompanying YouTube video and, and all that stuff for that. So definitely check it out in the show notes. So what do you hope to accomplish next? And what are you interested in next for when it comes to machine learning? Well, a few of us at our end of year hackathon wrote a OCR system to process specifically uh, scanned documents from NASA in the 60s and 70s. So it's for badly photocopied typewriter data. And we got some pretty good results out of that. So I'd like to wrap that project up, write a blog post, publish the code. And then beyond that, there's a website called Kaggle, which provides machine learning challenges. Uh, some of these are paid from companies who will award a prize to the best solution. Others are just for fun. Going to take on a few Kaggle competitions and see if we can get up the leaderboard. Cool. Well, it's neat that, like you said at the top of the show, and when you said like why you, you did this, like that it's this entirely new area that allows us as developers to solve problems that we might not have been able to solve before. It's a really exciting time. I think this is one of the most exciting things out there. And it's it's sort of the stuff of science fiction, but reality now. Yeah, it's hard to see from this stage of a technology how far it's going to go. But some of the wildest predictions that I've seen are calling machine learning programming 2.0, that mm -hmm. this is where the industry goes over the next five years and writing code by hand becomes a very niche task or something you only do when you're building a machine learning system. So one of the potential downsides to that is debugging, right? You have the potential with these systems to not know why it's doing what it's doing. Absolutely. Have you hit that so far? Yes, definitely with deep learning models. So we were using a deep neural network to do this OCR project and you know, I mentioned these things being like a flexible function that can do lots of different work, and then you fix some parameters. A deep neural network will have thousands or even millions of parameters that are being fixed by the algorithm to values that seem to produce the right output. But if you find that they're not producing the right output, which one of those million things is wrong? And usually what's wrong is actually the, the architecture of the network that you're using. But because the network is so vast, the role of each tiny component is very very obscure. Mm -hmm. There's definitely been some work into this, especially with deep neural networks in doing things like visualizing the output of each layer of the network so that you can understand things like, oh, well, it seems like the first couple of layers are finding edges in my image. And maybe that's not what I need for my task because there aren't a lot of hard edges. So maybe I need to use a different network architecture that's not so good at detecting edges and is better at something else. But it can often involve a little bit of trial and error one of the recommended best practices for machine learning is to set aside a portion of your data 
purely for the job of comparing the output of different models and seeing how they perform on this data that wasn't used to build them, which I suppose speaks to how much trial and error is, is involved. So is it really just trial and error at that point? Is that the, the which I say, I say it negatively, but quite honestly, a lot of times, even in our normal programs, we're putting print statements to figure out why something is working the way it's working and which is essentially trial and error. So is that really what it is? Yes, but I think similar to that kind of print debugging, it's educated trial and error. So you you know where to put the print statement and hopefully you know what kinds of things are likely to produce different results. And so you can say, okay, well, this isn't working as I expected, but I think this other network architecture is also appropriate, so I'll try that. There have been experiments with machine learning to learn the right architecture to do machine learning, but that's getting very meta. <laughs> yeah. So um, have you looked at any of the machine learning services that exist out there? Like I know Amazon has one, and I think Google... Cloud machine learning is another one. I haven't. I've been starting more low level than that. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd like to understand the the guts of the thing. Mm -hmm. But I have been using um, Amazon Web Services have GPU instances. A lot of the math behind machine learning is very similar to the math behind 3D graphics. So doing the processing on a GPU rather than a CPU can be much, much faster. So running, especially the training of a large model on a GPU instance in AWS can be many orders of magnitude faster than running it on even a brand new MacBook Pro. Yeah. Cool. Well, it goes maybe without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that ThoughtBot's available to do these kinds of, to apply this kind of technology and techniques on your product. So if you're interested, uh, definitely get in touch with us at ThoughtBot.com. And it's not just machine learning, but there's ancillary things too, like ETL pipelines, right, that we have experience in and all sort of interplay into systems that do this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, you often need very large data sets. And so it takes some pretty solid data handling infrastructure to deal with all of that at scale. Cool. You can find show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 263. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks again, George, and see you next time. Thanks, Ted. Bye, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., Let's build something great together.